We don't go to church. We are the church. You have been filled with the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You have overcoming power from heaven living inside of you. Who are you? Yeah. Can you hear me? Am I on? Fabulous. Welcome to Cape Christian. So glad that you're here today. My name is Mac. I am not Pastor Corey, and I'm not launching our series. Um, He is unfortunately very sick and uh, wishes he could be here and uh, apologizes that he can't be. But I have the privilege of uh, the kind of, you know, dipped really deep into the bullpen today. And um, I get the privilege of starting off this series. Um, It's kind of, it holds a special place in my heart uh, talking about we are the church. But before we get into that, I uh, just wanted to uh, make you aware of not only are we um, starting a series on what does it mean to be the church, because how many of you know it's very easy for us to talk about problems, it's a whole other thing to be a part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy for us to point out and say, hey, that person needs whatever. It's a, it's a whole other situation for us to grab out of what we have and offer it with an open hand. So while over the next, these, over the next uh, several weeks, while we're talking about what does it mean to be the church, we're actually going to put some feet to our faith. We're actually going to do some things practically that will um, help us reach into our community and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's why we're doing the meal packing today. It's why in a few weeks here we're going to be doing serve day, which is an opportunity for us to shut down our weekly service um, and go out into the community. Instead of coming to church or going to church, we're actually going to be the church and we're going to partner with our community and partner with our ministry partners to do something for the, in the lives of the people that we are called to minister to, to get into their life where they're at instead of expecting them to come to us. So, um, so I'm really excited about what's going to happen over this series um, called We Are the Church. And today, um, we're going to start off by just a little story time, if that's okay. So, uh, <laughs> ooh, they are very excited. Y'all need some work? They're fine. Um, just saying, and, and, uh, and if you're out in the tent, thank you for being there, and we'd love to hear you hoot and holler every now and again. So, um, but I was reminded of, um, my family, is a, we're a Disney family, we like, we like going to Disney World, and I remember, I've got three boys, for those of you who don't know me, um, the Lord blessed me with three boys, glory to God, and um, I have one in college, I have one in high school, and one in middle school, so I got a long way to go, and, um, and so we're at Disney World, and um, most of my boys, well, actually, they all really like roller coasters, and one of them said, hey, Dad, um, I'd like to try a roller coaster, and so we took uh, him to a, um, a roller coaster called the Barnstormer. It used to be called the Barnstormer, and it's kind of a little, little kid roller coaster, kind of get his feet wet and stuff, and so he did that, and then um, I think it was a couple days later or something, he, he felt like he would really like to try Thunder Mountain Railroad. And so he gets on a Thunder Mountain Railroad, and he loves it, man. It's just, it, we're screaming, and he's, he's screaming, our hands are up, it was amazing. And then he's like, hey, let's go on to the Barnstormer again. So we go from Thunder Mountain Railroad, and we run all the way across the park so that we can ride the Barnstormer, and he gets on the Barnstormer, and we go through the Barnstormer, and he gets off, and he looks at me, and he says, is that it? And I think sometimes we... We have situations in our life where we have this expectation in our hearts and in our minds, and when we face reality, we may be a little bit disappointed. And I think sometimes that happens to people who are out in the world, 
where they have an expectation. They've heard about this Jesus guy, right? They've heard about how he loves everybody and how he did all of these miracles. They might not believe in him yet. They might not put their faith and hope and trust in him, but, but there's this idea of this wonderful, wonderful human being who loves people, and then they go to a church, and, and, they, and it's like their expectations are, are thrashed a little bit. They come to church, and they're like, oh, this is boring. I don't, I can't connect to this. I don't, I feel, I feel awful. Why does God hate me? Right? But when we look at Jesus in the Bible, we get a little bit of a different picture. Jesus wasn't boring. He wasn't predictable. He wasn't known for, for what he hated. He was known for something, something different. He reached across the aisle. He went to areas that he wasn't supposed to go. He, he associated with people he wasn't supposed to associate with. He wasn't safe. He wasn't homogenized. He wasn't sanitized. He got down into the muck and the mire of humanity and did something. And when they meet Christians, they don't necessarily, some of us, don't necessarily reflect the Jesus that we claim to serve. We're not known for reaching across the aisle. We're not known for reaching into people's lives. We, we're known for staying in our little bubble and trying to keep ourselves separate from, from all of that nonsense that's out there. And I'm not saying that, that we have to be a part of the world, but I am saying that we actually have to be in it. Because sometimes the, the people that they meet don't look like the Jesus that those people claim to serve. It's amazing sometimes that believers are known for uh, what they're against, by what they reject, by what they hate, when Jesus was known for what he accepted. And I'm not saying that we have to affirm people's bad decisions or people's sin, but I am saying that we have to show them the love and the compassion and the grace of God. And so we're faced with a problem here. We're faced with a world and a, and a culture that doesn't like us, not because of Jesus, but because of us. You see, Jesus said that the world hated him, so the world will hate us. The problem is, we tend to think that the world doesn't like us because they don't like Jesus, when we don't look like Jesus at all sometimes. And so before we lay the blame on them, and I mean, let's be honest, sometimes their ideas are a little warped, and I get that, but, but before we heap uh, condemnation on them and we, and we you know, climb on our martyr's cross and say, they don't, love, they don't like me because I love Jesus, let's make sure that they don't like you because you love Jesus and not because you're just a jerk. <laughs> and so far too often, the church and some believers pale in comparison to the Christ we claim to worship. And so we work really, really hard here to try to, to, try to be the type of church where the broken and the marginalized, where the hopeless and the people who have been forgotten feel safe enough to open their hearts up to the possibility of God doing something in them. We want to create an atmosphere where people don't think they need to get better for God to love them, but they can get better because God loves them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we've adopted this mission that says that we exist as Cape Christian 
as a fellowship of believers, as a community of, of believers in Jesus Christ, we exist to introduce people to Jesus and help them to discover who God has created them to be. We want to be the image bearers of Christ. We want to be mirror images of, of him. That's why they called the believers in the first century church Christians, because it means little Christ, little anointed ones. And so we want to be the people that reflect the love and the compassion and the righteousness of God to the world today. And so we work really, really hard at that. We work really, really hard at being the type of people that reflect what John 3.17. This is what John 3.17 says. Uh, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is right after John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, but we tend to forget this. And John 3.16 said, God so loved the world, and 3.17 reaffirms that reality. Not only did he love the world, but he doesn't want to condemn the world. He wants to save the world. Regardless of where they find themselves now, he wants to save, he wants to save the people in a right re- to, to a right relationship with him that, are, that maybe have different political ideas than we do, that maybe have a, a different sexual identity than we do. And I'm not saying that God's affirming their sin. God didn't affirm your sin before you came to him, but he certainly loved you where you are at and changed you and set you on a path of purpose. There can be both things that'll be equally true, that God loves them where they're at and he loves them so much he doesn't want them to stay there. And so we want to be the type of church that reflects the fact that God doesn't want to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through Jesus. And not just some of the world, but all of the world. Every person matters to God, so every person matters to us. Every person, no matter what your background, if you're here today, you matter to God. God has uniquely and intimately created you and designed you for a purpose. You're not an accident. You're not a a passing thought. You're not an afterthought. God intentionally designed and created you and, and put gifts and talents in you so that you can make an impact in the world. You matter to him. That's why God has given us what what the Bible calls the mission of reconciliation. You see, God was willing to pay the ultimate price. Jesus died on the cross just so that God could be in a relationship with you. That's how much you're worth. You may be here living and you've been living your life thinking that you weren't even worth the love of a person who is, is toxic, for lack of a better term. But I want you to know that your price, your value, your worth is not determined by what other people think of you. It is, it is determined by the value that God placed on you and the price that he was willing to pay just so that he could be in relationship with you. And that's why God has called us to a mission of reconciliation, the Apostle Paul wrote in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that Jesus uh, reconciled us back to God and has called us as his image bearers to have that same mission of reconciliation, to go into the world and to beg them, come back to God. And so each one of us has a part to play. If you're a believer here, if you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you have a part to play in that mission. 
None of us are called to ride the pine. We're not called to sit on the bench. We're called to get into the game and to do something for the kingdom of God. In fact, we have a code here that says this, that we are not spiritual consumers, but rather we are spiritual contributors. The church doesn't merely exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. I truly believe that the church is the last best hope for this world. I truly believe it. But only if we look like the Jesus we claim to serve. We need to be the church that God wants us to be. And if we're, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, it's going to be a really good idea for us, I think, to maybe take, take a, a, a journey back in time to Acts chapter 2. To take a look at what the church looked like back then, when it was just starting out. As God was beginning now, they weren't always perfect. Sometimes we look at, sometimes we look at the first century church through rose-colored glasses. There were some messed up people in that, in that family. But God was doing a work. And so we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2 in a way that the church is defined by the writer of Acts, which is a guy named Luke. Now, before we get into this, I do want to just kind of unpack what does it mean to be the church? Because we're talking about we are the church. So what is the church? The church is not a building. The church, the, the, the word church comes, it's a Germanic term that was transliterated from Latin, that was translated from originally, like we find its origins then in Greek, and it's uh, ecclesia. And it's simply, ecclesia is simply a gathering of people. Now, what it has come to mean, specifically in what we call Koine Greek, is that it's a gathering or a group of believers in Jesus. Now, we have a building. It's a small building. We're going to be building a bigger building. But it's still a building that houses ecclesia. Let's not make the mistake that we go to church. We're not going to the church. We are the church because we are the gathering of people. The building is a place for the gathering of people to meet. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the veil that separated the presence of God with, from all humanity in the temple was torn in two, giving every person who would want to come through Jesus Christ into the very presence of God. And so because Jesus died on the cross and gave us access to the presence of God, there are no more sacred buildings. And the presence and the power of God doesn't rest on just one person. It's whoever would come to Jesus in humility and repentance and accept him by faith. Then you become the habitation of God. And he doesn't want there to be a veil in front of you either. He wants you to go into the world so that the presence of God will be wherever you are. So that those who have never experienced his presence or his power can experience it because you're there. And so in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit is poured out in the upper room. And Peter preaches a message. And thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Glory. I'd like to be part of that. That's amazing. But listen to how Luke describes the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 47. This is what he says. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's a church. I want to be a part of that. And thank God, I think that I am. I love the fact that when you take the average of people who are getting saved at Cape Christian, at least one person has accepted Christ every single day in this past year. That's an, that's an amazing statistic. And I, and I am so humbled and privileged that we get to be a part of what God is doing here. Unfortunately, go ahead. Give God praise for that. Unfortunately, some people don't have that experience. Unfortunately, this may be the experience that they have. Go ahead and throw the alternate version. They were devoted to their comfort, happiness, personal goals, dreams, and bucket lists. Lord Jesus. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused on themselves. Very few of the believers were together, and when they were, they fought about stupid things. <laughs> Glory. They sold, they sold, uh, if they sold anything, they used, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. Whew. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other, so they felt empty, alone, and depressed. And as a result, most people disliked them, and very few lives were changed. You see, this is unfortunately what some people experience when they encounter people who are supposed to be Christ followers. Now, before you get the idea that I'm here to bash the church, I'm not. I love the church. And I'm not saying that every person is like this. I'm not saying that every other church is like that. There's a lot of great believers in Jesus who are making an impact in the kingdom and loving their neighbors, and, and they're just quietly serving God. And there are a lot of churches that aren't making a big hoopla about it, but they're feeding the poor, and they're helping the broken, and they're helping people connect and, and, and encouraging people to love the Lord and to love each other. But unfortunately, this is the experience that some people have. And obviously, this is not God's best for his church. It's not the design that he wants. And it's certainly not what we want to be. And so today, I want to just briefly chat about three characteristics of a healthy, God-honoring church. What are three characteristics of a healthy, God-honoring church? The first characteristic is that we would be intensely devoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This idea of being devoted, this word of devotion that Acts uses, uh, it's hard for us to relate sometimes because we get a lot of people who are devoted until they feel like they don't want to be devoted anymore, and then they bail, Right? We all, when we meet somebody for the first time, we're all Olivia Newton-John, hopelessly devoted to you, right? 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 Until one morning we wake up and they don't look like they did when we went on dates. 
We look over and we say, good morning, love. And they go, good morning. And we go, oh, Lord. Something died. We're devoted until we don't want to be no more. But in the Greek, what Luke is saying here, and I love, this, I love the definition here, it's to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit. To be persistent, ongoing, obstinate devotion. That no matter what comes at you, you are not leaving. And so the question it begs for me is what am I devoted to? Do I look like that? See, we have a code here that says that we always bring our best because excellence honors God and inspires people. You see, you give excellence to what you are devoted to. For some of us, we are devoted to football. To some of us, we are devoted to baseball. I couldn't get past the football thing because I love football. <laughs> to baseball. Some of us are devoted to our cars, to our country. Good, I'm preaching alone up here, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> Some of us are devoted to our families, which sounds great, but it becomes more important than God sometimes. Some of us are devoted to our jobs. Some of us are devoted to the money that we have that our jobs give us. Some of us are devoted to an ideal in our head, a dream, a goal. Some of us are devoted to the clothes that we wear or to be an influencer. Some of us are devoted to those things. And so we give those things our excellence and God is there with the leftovers. What are we devoted to? You see, the first Christians weren't casual, cultural, once a day, maybe twice a, or once a week, maybe twice a year Christians. They were all in because to be baptized and to proclaim that Jesus Christ was Lord was a virtual death sentence for them. But for us, it just means that we subscribe to a political party. For us, it means that we try to be a good person. Or maybe it means that our mom and dad went to church and we grew up going to church and we go to church on Christmas and Easter when we have the time. But you see, when your life is changed by the power and the presence of God, you become devoted to him. When your life is in shambles, when it's wrecked and it's dashed on the rocks of your, your selfish pursuits, and he finds you in that place when everybody else has forgotten you and he shows you a love and a compassion and an acceptance that nobody else would give you. Something happens in that moment and you become devoted to him. When God delivers you from addiction, you become devoted to him. When he delivers you from the bondages, whatever they are, whether it was whether you were impoverished, whether it was addiction, whether it was a toxic relationship, whatever it was, when God meets you in your mess and changes and transforms your life, you become devoted. And all of a sudden, we give him the excellence of our lives. What is getting our devotion? 
Have we forgotten that Jesus found us in the middle of our mess? And we see these stories every day here of people whose lives are transformed. They're delivered from addictions. They're former prostitutes. They're, they're, they're former drug dealers. They were former abusers. They were former people. There were people who were, used to be abused and they were struggling through life and God has transformed them and it's changed their life. And sometimes we forget that that was us. And we lose our devotion. And God stops, we stop giving God our excellence. And they were devoted, the first century church was devoted to, to word, to prayer, and to fellowship. So the first thing that they were known for was they were intensely devoted. The second thing was that they were irrationally generous. I love this. They were irrationally. When was the last time you were irrationally generous? Not to yourself. <laughs> I just, yeah, never mind. We won't go there. We won't go there. We won't go there. Acts chapter 2, verse 45 says that they sold their property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. In fact, in, in, later on in Acts chapter 4, and this was the mark, by the way, of mature believers. If you look throughout the Old Testament or in the New Testament, people don't understand this. Um, when, when, I, when I teach it, people are like, no, that can't be it. No, this is absolutely true, that one of the marks of a mature believer in Jesus, according to the, the New Testament, is that they were just extravagantly generous. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 33 and 34, it says this, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that, they were, that there were no needy persons among them. They didn't need the government to do it. They didn't need some program to do it. Out of the generosity of their heart, because God had given them everything, they were willing to give up everything. And so... One mark for us to be a healthy, God-honoring church is that we are irrationally generous. We believe that we are blessed to be a blessing. In fact, we have a code that says that we are passionate givers of our time, money, and energy because we are blessed to be a blessing. And so when we think about our lives, are we healthy? Are we healthy church members? Are we healthy uh, as people who are, are a part of the church one of the evaluation questions that I ask myself is, Mac, if everybody gave like you of their time, their treasure, and their talent, what would your church be like? What would your church be able to do? Mac, if everybody gave like you do of their time, their treasure, and their talent, what would the world be like? What kind of impact could we make in the broken and the hurting? And there was a time, church, that I had to be honest with myself and I had to say absolutely nothing. The church could do nothing because I'm giving nothing, I'm doing nothing, and it's about me. In fact, we have a lot of testimonies of people who haven't given or who hadn't given everything and then God struck their heart and during the For Everyone campaign, they started to give and then all of a sudden, this spirit of generosity that we've talked about from this stage, the spirit of generosity began to well up from within them and it became addictive. They couldn't not give. And they started to remember that we don't have to give because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He created the university or the university, <laughs> the universe with just a word, so we don't have to give, but we get to. 
We get to be a part of what God is doing in the lives of people. And so we want to be a church that is intensely devoted, that is irrationally generous. And we want to be a church that unapologetically shares the love of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says this. And this was the result of the things that they were doing. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, we have a code here that says that we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. You see, because to reach people no one is reaching, we have to do the things that no one else is doing. To reach the people no one is reaching, we have to love the people no one else is loving. We can be like every other church that doesn't reach anybody, or we can be like the churches that are willing to lay it all on the line to introduce people to Jesus and help them discover who he's created them to be. And we will die on that hill. We will spend everything that we have to do a Christmas village so that our community knows that we love them. We will do everything that we can to do things like 30-second theology to tell the story of, of God's love and, and, and compassion for people through commercials in the Super Bowl. We will do uh, at-the-movies events where, where we'll, we'll share the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we'll, we'll share biblical principles through popular movies. We will do things like build a park so that people who visit the park can come to a safe place and potentially have their lives uh, opened up to what God has for them. How many, how many testimony, testimony after testimony after testimony of people who came to Christmas Village and heard what was going on in here on, on the weekends and heard what was going on here during our Christmas Eve services and say, what is that? Can I go to that? And they came and their lives were transformed. How many times? We have hundreds of people on the weekend because some brilliant, God-fearing, God-loving people who had a passion for their community said, you know what, we need a bigger building, but our community needs a park. And so we're going to provide a place for them where they can experience the love and the grace of God. And then we get testimony after testimony of people said, I was just visiting the park and I decided to come in and God wrecked my life. which is why we're all about Jesus. Because God has transformed our lives. God, has, God wrecked my life, and then he built it back up again with hope and with purpose. And if God can do it to me, God can do it for you. And if God can do it for us, he certainly wants to do it for them. And if they experience this thing, perhaps, maybe, just maybe, the trajectory of their life would be transformed forever and they can have generations of people who follow after Jesus because Kate Christian built a park. Because that person in Cape Christian leaned around the cubicle and said, hey, you know, we've been talking for a while. You want to come to church with me this weekend and then we can go out to lunch afterwards? It's really cool. They have a park. <laughs> That's why we give our best. That's why we give our excellence. That's why we're irrationally, gen irrationally generous. It's why we passionately give up our time and our money and our energy. It's why we'll do anything short of sin because Jesus is the most important central reality of our life and he needs to be and wants to be the most important reality of their life. 
because they're trying to fill their lives with other things that just leave them feeling empty. And he can transform them. We hear it over and over and over again. This is what happens. This is what happens when the church become the hands and feet of Jesus. We get stories like Michael's. Celeste and I have been together since 1990. We went to her senior prom. Her mom was my fourth grade teacher and we got married pretty young, but you know, we're going on 28 years this March. We, we didn't have religion. We didn't have, we didn't have faith. We didn't have anything. We just kind of were doing our daily routine and just going through life the way we thought we were supposed to. And it wasn't working for sure. The word I think of is chaos, a lot of chaos, a lot of anger, a lot of um, resentment, a lot of just no, no direction as to where we were going and just spiraling out of control, truly spiraling out of control. I had moved out of the house. I, we were going to get a divorce. We were done. Um, Celeste and I had decided we, it was it. I had moved out. I was seeing someone else. And um, we had pretty much called it quits and said, we're not going to live like this. Too much, too, many, too much fighting, too much anger, too much, you know, just it was horrible. It was horrible. And I got a phone call from Celeste one day, and she said, something's, you know, something's there. I don't know what it is. So, you know, we, we still talked and, and I went to the house and sure enough, you know, right there in the left side of her breast was as soon as I touched it, as soon as I, literally, you know, as long as I've been in medicine, as soon as I touched it, I knew it was, it was not good. And um, sure enough, right off the bat, stage four, you know, gigantic breast cancer, uh, come to find out it spread to her spine, it spread to her liver. I mean, it was, she was done. We had tried a few churches in Cape. We just could not find the right place that just, there wasn't a single church that we went to twice, not one that we went to twice. I'm not sure how we made our way here. I really can't tell you how we made our way here, but I still remember walking past the school and walking straight down the sidewalk, and, and we didn't know anyone. We, you know, we were walking towards the front door, and um, we saw Corey just standing there talking to people, talking to a group of people. Celeste and I were walking up to him, and he stopped talking to this group of people and turned sideways and looked at us and literally looked us square in the eye and said, I'm not sure exactly what you two are looking for, but just know you're home. I'd like to say it was an instant change. I mean, we were still having lots of problems. I had stopped seeing you know, the girl I was seeing and um, because you know, I had a conversation with my dad actually and my dad said, listen, you're gonna be that guy. You're gonna be that guy that divorces your wife while she has cancer. I mean, come on, man, go home. What are you doing? And I think that was the beginning of the journey that I started to find faith in, in God and said, all right, you put this in front of us and, and and at the end of the day, when you care about something, you can't stop caring about something. So no matter what Celeste and I had going on, I told her, no matter what, I'm gonna be there for you. The moment that everything changed, I can't make this up. I was riding my Harley out where I was not supposed to be, out by that woman's house where I shouldn't have been, and I hit a cow. I literally hit a cow. Bike got on top of me. I was stuck, couldn't get out from under it gasoline pouring out of it. And I thought to myself, you know, I've been in the fire service for 22 years. And I was looking up at the sky and I was like, you gotta be kidding me, God. You, you've gotta be joking. This is how I'm gonna go out, seriously. A car pulled up and I heard a guy say, hey, uh, call 911, I think this guy's hurt. And it was her with her husband, which I had no idea about. I don't know that we would be in this journey without Cape Christian because 
I love to come to church now. I love to come. I love to serve. I mean, I'm going on a, my I'm 52 years old. I'm going on my first mission trip this year. I want to help. I want to serve. I want to be there. I love being here. And I've never felt that way about, honestly, any place, let alone church. I mean, uh, the people, they're our friends. They're, our, they're it's, it's, it's everything. It truly is everything. And we've thought about moving Florida several times. And every time we think about it, we're like, oh God, what are we going to do about church? So it's the whole reason we're here. We would have moved probably a year or two ago if it weren't for church. Because we don't know, I don't know if I'll ever find anything like this again. I mean, Celeste is on the welcoming committee. I'm on the safety committee. Every time we come to church, how are you doing? What do you need? You know, how can we help? Everything. It was everywhere. So, you know, now we're happy. We're happy. We're happy as all get out. We're still together. We're still you know, instead of arguing, we pray. Instead of um, waking up and going separate ways, we do our morning devotions and, and, and we start our day and, and we talk about what we're going to do next and, and we're getting ready to celebrate our 28th anniversary. There's so many stories like this of God's transformational power and when Michael was saying that, he's like, what are we going to do about church? He's not talking about the building. He's talking about you. He's talking about the people that have gathered around him and Celeste, who walked this journey with them. And thank God, God has touched her life and she is cancer free. But there are so many Michael and Celeste's out there, broken and hurting, waiting for somebody to reach into their world. Maybe it'll be you during serve day. Maybe it'll be you at work. Maybe it'll be you on a missions trip. Maybe it'll be you with your next door neighbor. You never know, everybody has a story. Everybody has a hurt. Everybody has a pain. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's the answer to all of it. You see, we will be intensely devoted church. We will be an irrationally generous church. We will be an unapologetically sharing of God's love church. Like, we want it all. We want to look and act like Jesus because we know that he is the answer for the world. And so how do we change our perspective to go from being devoted to the NFL or devoted to NASCAR or devoted to our influence or devoted to our music or our money or our jobs? How do we shift? How do we change? How do we move from one to the, to the other? There are five things real quick. The first one is get in God's word. You can't be like Jesus if you don't know about Jesus and you can't know about Jesus unless you get into his word. Get into his word. Spend some time. Don't give him the leftovers. Schedule your, your life around your time with him. And he will help you with the rest of it. Secondly, serve in church. Out of the billions of people on this planet, I say this in growth track, out of the billions of people, the billions and billions of people on this planet, God chose you to be here right now. 
not so that you can sit in a pew or a chair, but so that you can do something for his kingdom. And he's uniquely fit you together and gifted you to make an impact in the world today. He could have picked anybody, but he chose you. Do something. Join a group. The Bible tells us that we are to spur one another on to love and good works. You can't do that by yourself. Get in a group, grow together. Start tithing. Start that that generosity heart. Get that going in your life. Don't Don't hold so tightly to the things that you have that you cannot accept the blessings that God wants to give you. And pray daily. Spend time with him. He's the only one that can change you, so let him. Spend time with him. Let him pour his love and his grace and his mercy. Let him correct you when you need to be corrected. Let him him love on you when he wants to love on you. Tell him how much you love him. Spend time with him. He'll change your life. As we talk about these, you might be here today and you might say, I I don't have a relationship with God. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what to do. The first thing that you need to do, the first thing that you need to do is to give your life over to him. He can change you. He can redefine who you are. He can take the shame and the hurt and the brokenness and he can give you hope and a purpose. And if you're here today because you were invited here or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks and you're like, you know what? I've made a mess of my life. I can't do anything about this myself. Maybe it's time for you to let Jesus take control. Maybe it's time for you to say, all right, God, I've made a mess of this. You take over. If you let him, he wants to transform your life. He wants to give you hope and a purpose. He wants to take the shame and the addiction and the bondage and replace it with hope and purpose and freedom. And doesn't that sound better? He's done it so many times. He did it for Michael. He did it for Celeste. He did it for me. He can do it for you. And if you're here today and you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, would you do us a favor? And would you just take a moment I'm not going to ask you to stand or anything like that. Just, just take out your phone. It's okay. They're out anyway. I know. And text CAPE YES to 94000. CAPE YES to 94000. We want to give you some resources that will help encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for the grace that you have given to us. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world today. That we get to be a part of the story that you're writing on the lives of people. Lord, I pray for those that have made a decision to follow you today, God, that you would solidify that decision in their heart and that you would help us to help them, that you would help us to surround them with godly men and women who would spur them on to love and good works. God, I pray that as Monday comes, God, that that decision to follow you won't be something in the, in, in the past in the distant past, but God, it would be real and relevant on Monday morning and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and every single day, God, that you would show up and show off your glory in their life. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that you would help us to move from allowing church to be about us, 
from allowing ourselves to be consumers of Christian goods and services into people who are contributor, contributors to the kingdom of God. God, I pray that you would help us to get off of the bench and into the game and make an impact in the world. And we thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.